Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Tom Tarver. I am the lead pastor here at Asbury in Corpus Christi. I want to welcome you. I'm glad you're uh, here, and uh, whether it's at home or here in the Community Life uh, Building, I'm glad that, that you're here to begin the Advent season, this uh, season of preparation for Christmas and, uh, and the arrival uh, of a king's birth. Um, I want to begin Advent with a, an unusual word. It's uh, the word interrogation. And, uh, and uh, my image is influenced a, a great deal by television and, and movies because the moment I think of interrogation, uh, I, I see a pretty drab room. Uh, it's, uh, it has a table in it. It has a couple of chairs. And, uh, and in uh, that setting, there are, are two people, one on each side of the table. Uh, on the one side of the table is a person who holds a badge. And, and on the other side of the table is a person who is handcuffed. And, uh, and, uh, and immediately we know who is being interrogated and who is doing the interrogate, uh, leading the interrogation. And, and the reason I start with that is because that image was put in my head recently as I was reading a person who was talking about her, uh, her moving from unbeliever to, uh, to believer. And, and she uh, likened it in this way. She said as she, as she studied the scriptures, as she read the Bible, uh, she interrogated the scriptures. And, and then there was a point where as she was studying and reading and interrogating the Bible, uh, that the scriptures began to turn the tables. And, and through the influence of the Holy Spirit, as uh, she uh, began to, to submit or, or move into a place where she wasn't being interrogated, but she was allowing the Spirit to interrogate her. And, and when we talk about Jesus as being Lord and King, uh, what we're talking about is that he is in the position of, of authority, that he has the has the, the right to, to speak into our lives. But I want to begin with the, the question, when you and Jesus are seated at that table, who is the one who has the authority? Who is the one who is doing the interrogating? Who has the badge in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ? So now having said that, I want to introduce a second word, uh, especially uh, moving into this season of Advent, I want us to think about curiosity. And, and when I think of, of curiosity, uh, one of the things is, as a student, when I would go to the library, I'd sit down and if I was curious about a subject, uh, I would go into a particular area and I would pull out the, the different books and, and then I would lay them on, uh, on, the, on the table and, and I would begin to, to go through some of the questions in my mind. And so I allowed my curiosity uh, to, to look for answers, answers that I didn't initially have. And, and so when we come into this season of, of Advent, uh, we could just be uh, on autopilot and just go through the next, uh, let's see today, next four weeks, uh, and, and just simply not think about or reflect or be curious about this whole idea of, of Christmas. But I want you to invite you to, to allow curiosity to be a part of, uh, of what you're doing 
uh, this Christmas season. And, and for example, we uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into this story uh, that uh, that is based on Matthew chapter two, and it is the story of the of the Magi or the wise men showing up at the palace in in Jerusalem and in, in Herod's palace. And and most of us. Uh, on autopilot, we just go to certain scenes in relation to, to the, the, the wise men. First of all, how many wise men are there? Three. We, uh, we never even, uh, most of the time we don't even ask, why do we believe that there are three, uh, three wise men? Well, some of you know the answer to that. Why do we believe there are three wise men? Because... There are three gifts. There's nowhere in the scriptures that uh, tell us how many wise men. We just know it's plural. Uh, and, and how many does it take? Uh, how many wise men does it make uh, to move from wise man to wise men? A minimum of two, right? But uh, whether, it was, whether it was two, three, a half dozen, I don't think that is the significant thing here. What's significant to, to me, the, the curiosity question I have here is, I know they're described as wise men from the East. Well, where, where uh, did they come from? You know, and, 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 uh, and the, the other question I have is, is when they traveled, uh, did they start out all together? Was this kind of a group event from the beginning? Uh, were they were they all from the same area, or was is it possible that individually they began to see this phenomena in the sky and and to question it, and something stirred in each of them individually, so they began to to go on this journey, and as they traveled and as they as they moved toward Jerusalem, suddenly they discovered that that there were others who were we're making that journey as well. Now, in, in, in my mind, this is a, this is a, a, an image that, that helps us right here, right now, because we all come from different places, different experiences, but our relationship with Jesus Christ has brought us on this day to this place. And, and so we begin to ask these kind of questions in relation to the wise men. Now, to actually get into to this particular passage, uh, we go to what the, what Scripture describes, and, and it says, uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, so we know uh, where and when, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And so here is it. Here is uh, uh, the, this uh, group of, of men who, uh, based on something in their culture, uh, said that whatever is happening up in the sky is important. There's something significant. My guess is when they began the journey, they knew that a person of importance had been born. But they had no idea. But as they moved closer and closer in, in the direction uh, of uh, that shining body, uh, they, they began to realize we're headed toward Israel. We're headed toward Jerusalem. Uh, it, it is obvious that whoever this great and powerful world leader is, uh, that he is going to be born the king of the Jews. 
And, and so as they, as they arrive there, uh, nature has, has gotten them close. Nature has, has, has brought them to the doorsteps of a palace. Experience and culture says if there is a king and, and, and that has been born, uh, then this is the place to be. And, and so they arrive, but they're not quite home. Uh, they, you know, the journey uh, to Jesus has only brought them so far based on their culture, their experience, and nature. Now, when they arrive there, they, they say, so where is the one who is born king of the Jews? And, uh, and Herod, who is a king, uh, and, and, uh, and he's a terrifying king. I mean, if you were born in his family, it didn't mean you were safe as his son uh, because he was a jealous king. And so they arrive at the doorstep of a jealous king saying, where is he who's born uh, the king of the Jews? And, uh, and he plays it cool, but he is shaken uh, on the inside. Later, it says all of Jerusalem and all of Judea was, was upset because they knew um, that that uh, that Herod was a, a man who was not to be trifled with. That he would he would even fight God uh, to prevent anyone usurping his power or his authority. And so they arrive there and they ask, "Where is he who's called uh, born King of the Jews?" And it's interesting. Uh, Herod doesn't have an answer. He's also puzzled. But he turns to the, the religious scholars, the scripture scriptural scholars, and asks, "So what does?" Scripture say, and, and the response of the scripture of the scholars is, but you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So this is what they quote. They, they begin to search the scriptures and they say, well, he's to be born in Bethlehem. And so, as I said earlier, uh, nature got them close, meaning the wise men. But then when they hear scripture, scripture got them home. The scripture completed the journey. And, and so they followed the instructions of scripture. They went to Bethlehem. They arrived uh, uh, at, at the at the front of the home uh, in which Mary, and, uh, Joseph, and Jesus were now living. And, and this is another one of those things that most of the time when we picture uh, a nativity scene, there's, you know, there's the, the wise men and their three camels, and there's the, the, uh, a couple of uh, uh, shepherds, and of course there's sheep and cows and, and uh, the baby in, in, uh, in a manger. And, uh, and, and in reality, Scripture tells us on the night that Jesus was born, the shepherds showed up. But uh, it was possibly two years later that, uh, that the wise men showed up. But they, they finally arrived there, and, uh, and, and it was their curiosity that began the journey, but it was also being willing to hear instruction from Scripture that brought them to the, to the doorstep of the king of the Jews. Now, one of you uh, look at uh, you know the, the words that we saw coming at us a little bit earlier Christ Messiah anointed and uh, in Matthew 118 uh, Matthew begins his conversation uh, about the nativity he says this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about 
Now, uh, the New King James Version, instead of saying Jesus the Messiah, says Jesus the Christ. Uh, in Luke uh, chapter 2, 10, verses 10 through 11, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, speaking to the, uh, and this is the night of Jesus' birth, and, and the angels are speaking to the shepherds and said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And again, in another version, he is the Christ. And so Messiah, Christ, what does that all mean? And, and then we come, come to, well, Messiah is the, it, it comes out of the Hebrew and the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, it, it is the, the, the Hebrew word for Christ. Uh, which is out of the Christian scriptures that, that, that was written in, in Greek. But Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. The one who is anointed, the anointed one. And, and then we, we get into, well, what does that mean? What is an anointing? I mean, I, I've heard it said uh, about certain people who preach. Uh, he, he has God's uh, anointing. The Spirit has anointed him. And, and what in the world are they, are they talking about? Well, this comes straight out of the imagery of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, Saul was anointed the first king uh, over Israel. And, and he was just a kid uh, looking for his father's uh, donkeys. And as he, would, he and, a, and a companion were searching, uh, they don't find the, the, the donkeys, but they, they go to inquire of a seer or a prophet, and the, that prophet happened to be Samuel. And Samuel was expecting them to arrive, and when they did, he knew that this is the one that, that, that God had set aside to become the future king over Israel. And so as, uh, as, as there's, as they're walking along and they're moving from one place to another, uh, Samuel kind of pulls uh, Saul aside alone, and then he breaks out this flask of oil and he pours it on him, and it, that anointing oil just ran down, and it was a, a symbol that you have now been granted the power and authority of God to rule. Um, the next one to receive that anointing was, was David, and, and David was just, a, at this point, he's just a kid, uh, truly a, a, a young boy out uh, taking care of his dad's flock, the family flock. Um, and, and again, Samuel shows up on the scene and there's a big uh, a dinner at, uh, at the home of Jesse, uh, David's father. And, uh, and Samuel has come there because he knows that God has, has sent him to anoint another king. Uh, he looks at the seven older brothers and finally says, is, is there anyone else? And, and Jesse sends for David and David comes in again. The, the oil of anointing is broken out and poured over this young, young man. And it would be years before uh, that authority, that mantle of, of, uh, of royalty would be uh, fully realized. But throughout uh, ancient, uh, ancient Israel, there is this moment where, where the king was anointed with oil. Now, um, out of curiosity, I, uh, I, I know Adam Hamilton in his book, Incarnation, which kind of gives a structure to our Advent season, not only on Sunday morning, but uh, uh, throughout uh, the week. Uh, he talks about this, but... 
uh, then I kind of researched it, and it was, uh, it was the uh, moment when uh, Queen Elizabeth II was, uh, was crowned uh, queen. Uh, her father had died in, uh, in February, I believe, uh, 1952, and at that moment she ascended to the throne, but she was not uh, uh, officially crowned queen until uh, over a year later in the summer of 1953. It, it took them uh, that long to make all the preparations. They wanted to do it just right. Uh, it, and, and so uh, the preparations were made. And so in June of 1953, uh, all of England, in fact, uh, my guess is much of the world watched uh, on as, uh, as the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II took place. And, uh, and I, I just want to go through a few of the things, or actually the five things that happened that day. Uh, the entire service lasted over three hours. And, uh, and, and the reason that I wanted to, to uh, look at this, and I went to YouTube and, and I watched uh, bits and pieces of this. I mean, I wasn't about to spend three hours of watching this formal, very high church kind of experience. But in that, um, it, it starts with recognition and oath, and basically that's when folks close, uh, process in, including Elizabeth, as she comes into uh, Westminster Abbey and to the to big the big cathedral, and uh, and 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 the oath part was just simply that uh, kind of like in, in a wedding. There's this moment at the very beginning where everybody processes in, and we state why we're here, and so that's the first thing that happened. And, and shortly after that came the anointing. And, uh, and, and this was uh, interesting uh, because when the anointing uh, took place, uh, she stood up, she walked uh, to uh, uh, stand in front of uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury and, and there was a golden uh, canopy that was over her. And, and in that moment, the, the Archbishop took a, a special spoon, an anointing spoon. It was actually the only uh, piece that was in the original anointing uh, process back in the 1600s. But anyway, takes this spoon, dips it in the anointing oil, then walks over and, and takes the oil and he placed uh, some on her forehead, some on her chest, and then some on each of her head, hands representing that, that uh, the queen was going to with her head, her heart, and her hands. It sounds very much like uh, what we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ, but to serve God and serve God's people. Head, heart, hand. Uh, that was the anointing. And after the anointing, then came the investing. And, and she's seated. And at that point, they bring out the crown jewels. And first there is the sovereign's orb, which is placed in her hand. And, and then there is a, a ring as it's placed on her finger, and it, it's, it's a huge ring, kind of like a, a, a World Series ring or a Super Bowl ring. It's, it's, it's large and full of, of jewels, and, and it represented that she was to be married to, to the people she would rule and, to, and serve. And then it put into one hand is the sovereign scepter of the dove, and then the other hand the sovereign scepter of the cross, representing the Holy Spirit and, and commitment to Jesus Christ. Then came the crowning, and uh, and she's in the seated in the the coronation chair, and and the the bishop, the Archbishop of Canterbury, comes and places 
the crown on her head. And at that point, then the trumpets begin to blow. There's a trumpet fanfare all the way through the cathedral. And the moment that the trumpets uh, sound, then the cannons boom, uh, starting with the Tower of London and going all the way, echoing down throughout all of London to Hyde Park. And as the people hear the trumpets and the, the booming of the cannons, uh, then, they, then they begin to roar, they cheer, that long live the queen, long live the queen. And, and so there's all of this, this great pageantry that's going on, and then following that is finally the enthronement and the homage. And so she moved from the coronation chair and to a royal throne, and she's seated there, and as she's seated there, then one by one, people come and, and pledge their fidelity to the, the queen and her rule. Uh, and, and the first one to come is the archbishop. And this is what was said by the archbishop in, 19, in June of 1953. I, Jeffrey Fisher, Archbishop of Canterbury, will be faithful and true. And faith and truth will bear unto you, our sovereign lady, queen of this realm and defender of the faith and unto your heirs and successors according to law so help me god he's the first of, of many the first to represent the, the church and the clergy and then follows uh, members of the royal family and, and other people representing uh, the people at large and, and and so there's all of this great fanfare this commitment this pledging of uh, of faithfulness to, to support and encourage and strengthen the queen and then finally when it's all said and done then they there's simply the the process uh, uh, procession out the, the closing procession where they move from the from uh, the cathedral to the chapel um, I want to kind of come back on, on two particular parts first of all the anointing what's interesting is uh, of the entire three-hour uh, ceremony, there is one part that we will not see, and that's the anointing. It wasn't because she was under a canopy, it was because uh, by, by tradition, that was the part not to be viewed by, uh, by, uh, by uh, the common eye. Uh, even though they had cameras there, either the cameras were cut away to other things, or they, they stopped entirely. And so everything else is recorded except for the anointing. It's kind of a hidden thing because it was seen as sacred. But what I find interesting that, that here we have a picture, and this is the anointing of Jesus. It was in full public view, it, uh, and it was seen as common, not sacred. Those who were gathered around Jesus at that moment, and this was just days before Jesus would be arrested, tried, and then crucified, dead, and buried. And, and so the anointing of Jesus was by a friend, Mary, who took precious oil, fragrance, uh, and, and poured it on the feet of Jesus. Days later, he would also receive a crown would be crowned king of the Jews. It would be a crown of thorns. And so in, 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 
in that moment with Queen Elizabeth, there's great pageantry, but with the King of Kings, the, the Lord of Lords, there's this very public but quiet moment as he's anointed and prepared to receive his crown. The other thing is the sovereign's orb, which was placed in, in, um, in Elizabeth's hands, and it was only for a, a short period of time, it, it, and almost immediately after receiving it, then it was taken and it was placed back where it belonged, which was in, in, uh, in the chapel before uh, the cross. But you see this orb, and, uh, and, and the orb represents the world, the whole of the world. And, and what's on top of that? What do you see on top of that? The cross. The cross is on top of the orb. And at some point uh, uh, in history, uh, throughout Europe, the, the orb, which it, it represents the entirety of the world, began to be have a cross placed on top of it. Not just in England. Uh, I saw uh, the orb, uh, the king's orb from Norway, and then Sweden, and then Austria, and Hungary. All of these uh, European nations began to acknowledge that that the world belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether they live that way or not, that they acknowledge that there is a king above kings, there is a Lord above lords, and it is Jesus Christ. So in this season, as we move through Advent, uh, again, I, I want to invite you, allow curiosity to explore the reality of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Allow Jesus to, to sit across the table from you as, the, as a person of authority, the eternal king, the king of the Jews, the king of the world. To live, to love, to laugh, it is all Jesus Christ. Amen.